This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I wanted to start a, a series for the month of August, going to do something a little different. And uh, I wanted to, I'm calling this mottos and, and mantras. I want to take some of the mottos and some of the sayings that we hear a lot in our lives, and I want to take a look at them from a, a Christian perspective or from a biblical perspective. Is there truth in them? Can we live by them? And, and, and maybe even get to a, a deeper place with these mottos and mantras. Now, what we're going to do, and, and we'll announce this a little bit later, we're going to give you a chance to be a part of a sermon in that uh, I think toward the end, we're going to send in your favorite motto or your, your mantra, and then we're going we're to see which ones are the most popular, and I'll take one, and, uh, and, and we'll preach on it, provided it's, you know, something that's preachable. And so, <laughs> and, and so um, the one I want to talk to this morning uh, came about in 19, really became popular in 1948, and the man who who made it popular was a man by the name of Dale Carnegie who wrote a book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And in this book, he, he, uh, he had a, a chapter called When Life Hands You Lemons, Make Lemonade. So we know that. And so I, I want to take a look at that. When life, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. There was a truck driver who was a long-distance trucker sitting in a and a late night diner one night, early, early hours in the morning. He was tired. He'd had a long day driving. He just wanted to get a big meal and go to bed. And he's just sitting there all alone at the counter. A group of uh, outlaw bikers showed up, four of them. They'd been partying. They were pretty rowdy. They sat beside him at the counter. and One of them said something to him, and he did not acknowledge him the way that, uh, or give him respect that the driver didn't. And so the biggest outlaw biker stood up and he walked over and said, well, you know, I think you need to be a little bit friendlier. He said, you need to share your food. He reached down, he grabbed his hamburger. He took a big bite of his hamburger. And then he took the hamburger and he mashed it right on the top of his, of his hat, mashed it in his hat, and then put his hat back on his head. Then he grabbed a handful of his fries, took a big bite, and dropped the rest of the fries down his shirt, patted it on him, and poured his coffee in his lap. Trucker wasn't a small guy, he was kind of a big guy, but he just sat there the whole time. And when he'd done, he, he was done, he kind of brushed himself off, left some money on the counter, got up and walked out to the gales of laughter coming from the four outlaw bikers who were pointing and laughing at him. When the waitress came by, she was pouring coffee for the four guys, and the, and the biggest, the, the bully, the one who had done it, said, uh, you see that? He said, uh, that driver's not much of a man, is he? And the waitress, she just kept pouring coffee. She said, well, I don't know about that. She said, but I do know he's not much of a driver. He just backed over four Harleys on his way out of here. <laughs> when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I don't know if that really qualifies. So that, that, that sounds more like revenge is a best dish served cold. But the idea of when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, it's, it's the idea that bitter things are going to come to all of us. Bitter things happen. Bitter things come. And then the thing is, we have a response to how are we going to respond to these bitter things. We have a, a choice. Now, those, those bitter things can be anywhere from disappointments. You didn't make the team. Your business deal didn't come through. Maybe you didn't get picked for something. Disappointments. All the way to disasters. 
You lose a marriage, you lose a child, you lose a loved one. And so those, those can be bitter. How do we respond? So we have choices as to how we can respond. Some of our responses can be arranged as well. They can be good. Some can be, some can be very bad. But the whole idea behind make lemons out of lemonade, or make lemonade out of lemon, excuse me, is the idea that we're going to take something that's bad and turn it into something that's good. But the question is, can we, can we always do that? Thomas Edison was probably one of the, America's greatest geniuses. And in 1915, he had a complex in West Orange, New Jersey. And that complex had a lot of his, his, his workings and his ideas. The man was prolific at coming up with ideas. And one, uh, one evening at 5.30, a chemical fire started in one of his buildings. And before he knew it, six out of eight of his buildings were, were blaze of fire. This fire was so big, they said it was shooting flames up. It was chemically uh, enhanced, and it was shooting flames up 100 feet in the air. Charles Edison, Thomas's son, 24-year-old son, went frantically looking for his father, and he finally found him, and he was just, he was standing there, and he was just staring at the fire, and he said, Dad, what are we going to do? And his father said, go get your mom, son. And, and the boy said, Why? He said, well, he said, she's from a small town. She's never seen a fire like this. She'll never see a fire like this again. <laughs> True story. And uh, he said, Dad, what are we going to do? He said, oh, he said, we've just cleared out a lot of rubbish. Thomas Edison talked to reporters that night. He said, tomorrow morning, he said, we're going to rebuild. Now, he could have gone into his room. He could have been depressed. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter. Thomas Edison, sure enough, to his work, got up the next morning, did not fire a single employee, put them on double shifts, and they built back, and, and it was four years later that they made, in one year, $10 million, and this is in the 1919s. So you say, well, and that's an amazing story. You're right, the man lost, in, in buildings alone, he lost, in the equivalent of today's money, $26 million. So I, I don't know if I have that kind of attitude, Alan. Huh? Let me be honest with you. I don't. <laughs> but I've got something better. I've got a relationship with the living God. And with a relationship with the living God, I can't always make lemonade out of lemons, but I can turn to him as the source of my help. That's what a life with God gives us. That's what a relationship with God it gives us. It gives us somewhere else to go that we're not having to deal with life completely on our own. It says this in, in the scripture. Remember the word David was saying to your servant upon which you've caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life. Your word. So David was saying, in the middle of a difficult time, he said, remember your word, and your word has caused hope to come to me. Hope is a, is a favorable expectation. Your word has given me comfort. And so in the, in the bitter things in life, you say, well, I, you know what? If you, if you even told somebody, if someone is going through something, they said, hey, man, my marriage just fell apart, or I, I just lost someone who was so close to me, and, and they died early. You don't ever want to look at them and go, well, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I suggest you do not do that. 
But I do suggest you can do this. Thank God that in the middle of a bitter time, he can give you hope where there is no hope and he can give you comfort where there is no comfort and he can take a bitter thing and bring peace right in the middle of it. And that's the advantage that we have. Over the years, I can't tell you how many of the times that that Joy and I have, we've been married 39. We've got three kids. We've got six grandkids. You've got that many people together. You're going to have some things happen. And you're going to have, you're going to have all kinds of things in life. You say, well, Alan, you're a pastor. If you're a pastor, you don't deal with some of the things in life that I do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Being a pastor is a job title. It is not a protection. And so that means that I still get to deal with some of the same stuff. And I remember one, one night when Joy and I were so grieved because of something that our daughter had gone through. And many of you know that story about where she had been in an abusive relationship and it had absolutely just decimated her and we couldn't see lemonade anywhere. And the Lord gave me a word and I was able to share just a scripture about the fact that, that God can raise those who were bowed down. And for my wife, who was going through maybe one of the most difficult, darkest times of her life, that word caused her to have hope, and it brought comfort. You can't always make a lemonade out of lemons, but you can turn to God, and God can help. One of the men who probably understood this better than anybody was a man by the name of David. I love reading stories of David, not just because he was a warrior. I love David's attitude. David's attitude and perspective are just absolutely strong. And he went through, in fact, I, I, if, you, if you get the notes on, on my message, I entitled this David and the Lemon Tree. He didn't just get lemons, he got a tree. He was, he was anointed to be a king of, of Israel when he was a teenager. The Spirit of God came on him, and even though no one believed in David, God believed in David and saw him and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the king of Israel, was the bad king. God had already told Saul, he said, I'm going to give your kingdom to somebody better than you. And Saul was on the lookout for who was better. And we don't see David show up really on the scene until he faces down a guy from Gath whose name is Goliath, and he beats him. And after he beats him, they write a whole song. In fact, the number one song in Israel hit all the charts was, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. When Saul heard that, it plagued him so much because he realized that David was his threat, threat to his throne and Saul tried to kill him. And so now David is having to run for his life simply because he did something for God. And he's going to face five situations. And I want you to hear the five situations that he faces because they're all lemons. But then we see how he handles it. We'll read here in Samuel. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him? See, that song crossed boundaries. Sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? <laughs> David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. 
And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became the captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. I want to give you five limits that David had. First one, and maybe you can relate to some of them. First one is he had no good options. If he stays by himself in Israel, no one could protect him. And he had to leave Israel. And where, where, where could he go? So he goes to, to Gath. Well, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. He'd been their champion. So David shows up in Gath. He's got, this is not a good option for him. But if he stays in Israel, he dies. All because one man hated him. All because of one man's jealousy. David has no good options at all. Have you ever felt like that? Were you just stuck? You've got no good options out there? That's a lemon. That's a bitter thing in life. So David goes to, David goes to Gath. And now he's faced with a fearful situation. Because David shows up before the king going, hey, king, I could, man, I could use a place to stay. And David's, <laughs> David's servants recognize him. They, they, they'd heard the song before. Saul has slain his thousands. and They're like, well, that's the guy. That's the guy that killed Goliath. You know, Goliath probably still had cousins and family members running around there. The Bible said he had five brothers. So he had all these people running around there. They knew. And all of a sudden, David is in a situation where not only is, is he away from his home country, he's in a fearful situation where they could capture him or kill him. That's fear. All of us have faced fearful situations. And none of us have enjoyed it. David certainly wasn't enjoying it. So David had to come up with a creative idea. Act crazy. And here he is. This is, the, this is a mighty warrior. This is the future king of Israel. And now he's got to act like a crazy man. So he's, he's scratching at the gate. He's drooling on himself. Acting like a... And all of a sudden people look at him like, oh, oh, oh. How embarrassing. You know, I, I, and I'm going to tell you something, and, and you ladies know this, but we men know it. Men hate to be embarrassed. Man, we will, we will drive. That's why, before, thank God for Siri and, and GPS, because we would drive miles out of our way to keep from stopping and asking for, for directions for somebody, because it was against our dignity. How, did, how do you think David felt? Drooling on himself, acting crazy. Now, now all the Philistines are rolling their eyes going, <laughs> I remember one time when I came back from North Carolina, I tried to start a church in my hometown, and we shut it down. It was a bad idea. It didn't work. And uh, when we came back, I attended a function at Lakewood Church, and one of the associate ministers, who was a peer of mine, someone my age, shook, we, we saw each other and shook hands. He said, hey, man, how's, how's the church going? I said, well, we, we didn't, we, we, it didn't go. I said, well, how long did you do it? I said, well, we did it about a month, and we quit. I remember he looked at me, and there was just this disdain in his voice. He said, you didn't even get started. He turned around and walked away. And I remember thinking, I would like to lay hands on you right now and bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> it, it was embarrassing. And it, it, the, the scorn and, and the thing, you know, it's interesting this was over 30 years ago. You know, I still remember it like it was yesterday. These things can be, can be bitter. And here's David having to act like a complete fool just simply to get out of town. So he loves to get out of town. He's embarrassed. He's been in a stuck situation. He's been in a fearful situation. He's been embarrassed. Any of these things ever happened to you? And then he winds up in a negative environment. 
I mean, who wants to go live in a cave? I mean, usually you're thinking, hey, and David went and hung out with one of his buddies in the guest house. No guest house for David. No hotel for David. David couldn't go home because if, if he went home, then Saul would probably kill his parents as well. David was damaged goods. and He couldn't go anywhere. So David's now living in a cave. You know, a cave, when I think of a cave, I think of a dark, negative environment. Joy and I had an apartment one time, felt like a cave. On the bottom floor, dark, it never had any light came in. It felt like we were in a cave. And if you're in an environment that you don't want to be in, that's a bitter thing. And then David's family comes to him because they're probably afraid for their life. He's in the cave. David's family begins to show up. Yay. And then people begin to join. But not just anybody begin to join. Not leaders of the land begin to join. All the messed up people showed up. Yeah, can you see David's brothers coming in going, hey, David, about 20 more guys showed up. Really? David said, we got any leaders in there? Mm -mm, No, David, these people aren't leaders. Uh, These are really stressed out people. (laughs) They're they're really hurting. Anybody got any money? No, David, everybody that's come to you owes money, and they're all in debt, and they're all unhappy. So David looks out, and he's got 400 stressed out, no money, unhappy people, and he's like, I am your leader. What a wonderful thing to be. You're like, oh, dear Lord, how, how much worse can it get? I mean, now you've got the people around you who are hurting people, and how many of you know hurting people can tend to hurt people? So he's got a whole group of these guys around him. David has got five lemons that came his way. What does David do? David doesn't stand up and go, praise God, we're making lemonade. But here's what David does do. David writes one of the most beautiful psalms he's ever written, and he writes it in the cave. It's Psalms 34. It starts off this way. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were enlightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Blessed, not bitter, is the man that trusts in him. And David, in the middle of his difficult times, learned to look to God for his help. He didn't make God the source of his problem. He didn't say, God, I don't know why in the world I ever started serving you. It's been horrible since I have. David simply said, I'm going to bless the Lord. Now that is certainly even better than making lemonade out of lemons. That's a place of strength. Man, that's a place you can hang in. How do you do that? See, when they say make lemonade out of lemons, they don't tell you the process. They don't tell you about all the dark times. They don't tell you how to do that. So let me tell you how to do it God's way. How can you take a a negative situation? I can't say that you're always going to turn it around. If you you come to me and say, Alan, this divorce has absolutely wrecked my family. I can't look at you and go, we'll make lemonade out of that. But I can look at you and go, if you'll turn to God, if you'll draw closer to him, he can help you in the middle of this. Here's the one thing we have to understand, that bitter and blame go together. Bitter and blame go together. See, the idea is when life hands you something bitter is for you not to become bitter. 
Now listen, I can blame. There are people I can look back on who have hurt my life, who have hurt my family, and I can blame them for some of the bitter things. I can blame Satan, my enemy, for causing some of the bitter things in my life. There's no excuse for abuse. There's no excuse for lying and stealing and destruction. You can't ever exonerate anybody from that. You can look at them and say, they cause trouble in my life. They cause blame. But here's the thing we can't do. We can't allow their, what they've done to control us and make us bitter. You may have caused me problems, but you cannot control my attitude towards it. I may have had a bitter situation, but I don't have to become a bitter person. And when you blame others and you keep the blame there, man, you, you begin to shut the door down to the answers in your life. There's a man who uh, wrote a book called The, the Telling Tree. And he's Italian. He went to his father's ancestral home in Sicily. While he was in Sicily, he watched every day as an old woman with a cane just slowly, painfully walked every day past where he was staying, and she would walk up this long, steep hill at a tortoise pace to the local cemetery. And then she would stay there, and then she would come back down, same snail's pace, and go back to her home. They estimated it took her six hours of her day, but she went to that cemetery, rain or shine. And you, he asked, what kind of grief would cause this? What kind of, of, of love? Was this the loss of a child or the loss of a spouse? Was this a, a, just a, a, a love of their life that was gone and she had to visit the grave every day? They said, no, it's none of those things. But every day this woman took six hours out of her day because her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery and she would go there every day to spit on her grave. <laughs> and you're thinking, that is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard in my life. And yet, how much of our life have we wasted being bitter at a situation we can't control? Hey, listen, bitter is not where you want to be. Bitter is not, so I, I, can't, I can't blame. I can't blame. I can't keep fo focusing the blame on other people for my life. Yes, they have done things. All of us have had things done to us. And yes, we can point the finger, but at some point in time, we have to say, Lord, I forgive them. I can't keep blaming them. I can't make them responsible for my attitude. I'm responsible, and I can choose. But here's another person you need to stop blaming. You. You need to stop blaming yourself. All of us have messed up. I moved my family halfway across the country, started a church that didn't work, put us in a bad situation, and I blamed myself for years. The problem with blaming yourself is I never was able to turn to the Lord and go, Lord, look, I did it. Listen, it's good to own it, but at some point in time, you got to move on, guys. It's good to own your mistakes, but you can't keep owning them year after year and month after month and day after day. At some point in time, you got to say, Lord, forgive me. I missed it. I messed up. Would you forgive me of this? And move on. Because bitterness doesn't just, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts people around you. In Hebrews, this is what it, it said. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So what do I do, Lord? If I become, if I become bitter, if I become angry, what do I do? Well, here's the, here's the thing. I turn to God for help. This is where you take lemons 
And people say, well, make lemonade out of them. I don't even know how to make lemonade out of them, but I can take the bitter things in my life and I can take them and I can turn them over to God and go, Lord, you are my source of help. You can help me in this situation. But listen, if you're mad at him, you won't turn to him. About 10 years ago, I had a problem, many of you remember, with my eye. And I had an autoimmune disorder that actually caused my eye to protrude. And it was embarrassing. People would ask about it. People were, sometimes were unkind about it. It, it, was, it was something where people would look. And I'd have to stand up still in front of thousands of people and, and with, with that eye looking that way. And I, I honestly got disappointed. And even though the Lord healed me and the progress in my eye stopped, Joy was talking to me one day and I was talking. She could hear the edge of my voice. And she said, she said, Alan, have you become bitter at God? And I went, no. That's usually a good sign. <laughs> you know, when you get real defensive, someone says, well, you're this way. You're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> that edge was still in my voice. And I realized, you know, Lord, I've been disappointed. And I focused my disappointment on you and I'm sorry. That's not where I should go. I, I need to take these things to you and go, Lord, would you help me? And I did. And he gave me a surgery, gave me peace about having a surgery where they actually went in behind my eye, like got real close to my brain, which is not a comfortable thought. But if God gives you peace about it, you can handle it. And he handled that. And so it, I think I, I'm restored probably to about 90% of where I was before, but it sure was better. I'm grateful for that. Look what it says here about what kind of God we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort for which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's mercies when we miss it, and there's comfort for the bitter times. God is the bringer of better, not bitter. He's the bringer of comfort, not torment. If you take him to God and say, Lord, I need your help here, he can do that. I'm going I'm to close this with uh, something I, I don't typically do, but I'm, I'm going to read a psalm to you. I want you to see it on the screen. This is David. David wrote another psalm from a cave. And I think this really classifies how we want to end this. You can hear him. He's in trouble. As he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. I love that song. Because it starts off with David having problems. He said, God, I've got problems. I've got troubles. And he said, I looked around for somebody helped. And maybe you've ever, maybe you felt this way and nobody cares for my soul. I'm overwhelmed on the inside, God, and nobody, nobody cares. I can't find anyone who cares, anyone who will be a help. And you think this will be a time where you can shake your fist at God and go, why have you abandoned me? But that's not what David does. David points at the Lord and said, but you are my refuge and you are my portion in the land of the living. 
He said, Lord, help me. Because man, the ones who are around me are stronger than I am. But then I love how David ends it. He said, the righteous will surround me for the Lord will deal bountifully with me. I know how this is going to end up. The Lord's going to help me. Listen, you may be going through some bitter times right now. You may say, Alan, you don't realize the bitter times and you don't realize how alone I feel and you don't realize how bad it seems out there. I got good news for you. You may start off with the problem, but you can end up, you say how this is going to end up. You're the one that says, I tell you how this is going to end up. The Lord's going to help me. The Lord's going to be bountiful to me. The Lord's going to help me come through. This thing will not define my life. I'm coming through it. Because I got something better than lemonade. I got a living God who can change things, turn things around, and take bitter things and make them sweet in my life. When life hands you lemons, get closer to God. He's the one that can turn things for you. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray right now for every individual who's here and everyone who's listening to me online. People who are dealing with bitter things, disappointments, disasters, things that have absolutely wrecked their lives and so many are crying out, my spirit is overwhelmed. But Lord, when they're overwhelmed, we can look to you. And I pray that this, this my words, Father, that your words will speak to their heart and things can turn and they can begin to look to you as a refuge, as a source in the middle of difficult times. Because Father, whatever the bitter things we bring you, you have the ability to help us to give us hope, and to give us comfort. So I ask you for that. In Jesus' name, his heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today or you're watching online and you say, you know, Alan, I, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. If I do, I don't know it, but I want to. Or maybe you're like I was. I grew up in church, had a relationship with God and walked away from him. And maybe you're saying this morning, you know what? I, I want to come back. I want to be connected to the one who does care for my soul. I want to be connected to the one who can take bitter things and turn them. I want to be connected to the one who can be a refuge for me. That's you this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to pray. We're not going to have you stand up or come down to the front. But if you're saying, Alan, I, 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 man, I want to make sure I'm right with God. And I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I, I want to be a part of this prayer. Would you pray for me? Real quickly, would you slip your hand up just across the auditorium and say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks, thanks. Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Got you. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and wanted to. You can still join us. If you're watching online, if you're by yourself, pray this out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. But say this to yourself. Say, and pray it out loud. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because I said yes to you. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who stepped out of spiritual darkness into your marvelous light. And for those who've come back home, we rejoice with them. 
We rejoice that we have a Savior. We rejoice that we have a God who cares. And we're excited about the potential now that they have in their lives. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.